If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? A little technical. I don't know what happened with the intro there. It's kind of like freaking out a little bit. But what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of California Underground. I have with me today Kelly Carden. Did I say that right? Carden? Yeah. Yeah. Kelly is running for the second district of the Kern County Board of Supervisors. Um, as always, we like to talk, we love to talk to people who are running for local positions here in California because if you've learned anything over the past couple of years, it's that your local politicians have more power over your day to day than probably people in Congress, people, and actually not probably, but definitely they have more control or not control. They have more influence over your day-to-day life. I don't want to say control because I'm sitting with a libertarian, and the last thing a libertarian wants to say is that they have any control over your life. Um, He's also, and I kind of give him away, he's also a libertarian. He's with the Mises Caucus, and I love having libertarians from the Mises Caucus on. Uh, They are friends in liberty and freedom with us as well. So, Kelly, how are you tonight? Welcome to the show. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's really uh, my honor to be on the show. I mean, I think I saw you listed as like the second most popular podcast in the state. That's, man, this is the biggest one I've been on so far. Well, that, if it's second, then I haven't checked the rankings in a while because I don't remember it being that high. But thank you. Um, we also have Cynthia here with us as co-host, who is always a great addition. Um, chiming in at, at, at different times. Um, so I guess we'll start right in. We'll just hop in. Kelly, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, your background. I was reading your website, sort of your family history and what got you started. Yeah. So, I mean, I've lived in Kern County my entire life. I'm a lifelong third generation resident of East Kern County. Um, my family's been going to the same schools since 1965. And that's when my stepdad would would moved here when he was in junior high. Um, so since he went to school, my aunts and uncles, my older siblings, cousins, Myself, um, my nephews, all four of my kids actually go to the same elementary school that I went to. Um, my five-year-old son's in the same classroom that I sat in for kindergarten. So, and my mom's in the family business since 1993 here in town. So, I'm incredibly um, ingrained in Kern County since I was little, and it's just kind of cool, you know. So everything just kind of happened. I decided to run, and and then I started sharing my story, and people started relating with me, and. That's really what, what, what's been killing it, you know, as far as just helping people connect with who I am, building that rapport. You know, I, I tell people that every lesson that I've learned in my life, I was taught by a child laborer, an American war bride, and a school dropout. Um, my mom was actually born in the Philippines. Um, she was born in, the, in a, one of the poorest provinces in the Philippines. My grandfather was a guerrilla fighter during World War II. My grandmother was an illiterate housewife. So my mom, she started working when she was little. She was six years old. She's the third oldest of nine or 10 kids. And um, she would walk to the next town over, you know, seven, eight miles to go or the next village over to go work in the fields and then go home every day. When she was a young girl, an, an American family that retired there actually tried to adopt her away and offered my parent, my grandparents money for her. And they declined, um, you know, at 11, she dropped out of school at 13. She married an American serviceman you know, been an American for over 50 years now. She's been an American citizen. She's owned her own homes. She's been a business owner for over 30 years. So really just her story is what's empowered me to do this. And, and what really allows me to relate with everybody because everybody can relate with hardship. Everybody can relate with struggle. And I'm not, and I didn't go through those things, right? My mom did, but the lessons that she's learned growing up and that, that she had to acquire were definitely passed on to me. And that kind of relatability and action and, and, and actionability, just being actionable, is how I how I expect to approach office. You know, just seeing problems, how do we most easily fix them so that there's an actual benefit, not just services being provided, um, and treating root issues. Right. The pro- the biggest problem with government is that government is designed to provide services, and not designed designed to provide solutions. Which is how come we can have the same problem for 50 years. I mean, the Board of Education was created in like 1973 and every year since our schooling has gotten worse. But it's because yeah. we're not here to solve the, the root issue of education. They're here to provide the service of education without thinking of how kids learn differently, which isn't reg- in a regimented you know, society. So 
mean, that's a little bit about who I am. You know, I have four kids. Um, my son's my son's name. I have um, Rodney is ten, uh, Naomi is eight, Elisa is six, and Anderson is five. Anderson has uh, long red hair that's only been cut once. It's about halfway down his back, and wow. he he loves it. <laughs> that's so, awesome. Yeah, I've been with my my girlfriend for since 2010. And I, you know, live with my mom right now. So it's kind of cool. We live in a multi-generational household. And if I win my election this year, my mom will have gone in her single lifetime from being born in the poorest segment of society to seeing the first ever Filipino-American county supervisor elected in California history. That's quite the story. I think that's um, indicative of the, I mean, that's the American dream. And it's Mm -hmm. the American dream realized here in California. And a lot of that we don't really see that in California anymore. We don't really see the ability to achieve that American dream. Um, and a lot of people because of that are leaving They're They're heading out of state. I get those DMS all the time of people saying, look, I can't stay and fight anymore. I can't do it. I can't really do California is too expensive. Um, but you're on the opposite side. You're saying, no, I'm going to dig my heels in and I'm going to fight. So what was the, the real trigger that made you, go, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to put my name on the line and, and just go out there and do this. And one follow-up also, um, sorry, Kelly, one follow-up also like a two-prong question. Is this your first time running for office? Like, have you been in politics before? Um, I think our audience would be really interested in that because you have a great story. I think people would be curious, like, have you always been into politics too, to kind of dive into your genesis a little bit? Well, yeah, let's start there. So, um, well, so we'll start in the beginning, right? What made me decide to run and what was the trigger? What told me I was going to dig my heels in? It was the fact that I was commuting. I live in, in Roseman, California. My house is 3.7 miles from the Los Angeles County line. So I commute into, into the, into LA every day. And I was driving 94 miles back and forth to Malibu. And then from there, I was driving back and forth from the Ronald Reagan presidential library. And so, my situation didn't really allow me to move my housing. We, we bought our house in 2013 for pretty cheap. So I have a pretty reasonable mortgage payment. And I'm, I'm just like, dude, anywhere else I move, it's a lateral move at that point. Right. My, my biggest expense being housing, moving out of state, even if I sold my house, it would be to a house that's a similar size, you know, in another state. Yeah. It might be a little bit cheaper, but did I really advance myself or did I just move myself away from the only thing I've ever known? So COVID happens, I get laid off and, and, and I had the, the coolest job. So I, when I started working when I was 18 years old, when I started working, when I was seven years old in my mom's store, you know, I literally just remember pushing the broom and getting paid in gummy worms. And mm. then I got to junior high and I'd say gummy worms weren't enough. I needed baseball cards. Okay. You needed then, a raise. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then I, I, I got it too. My mom was cool. She, she gets capitalism. <laughs> And so, I, you know, as an adult, I started working in pizzerias. I started making pizzas. Then I started working in hotels. I came back to California and I'm working for a company called Sodexo. And I finally get a, the best job, the, my dream job, right? The, the operations manager at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. The next year, COVID, you know, and I lose everything. So I'm at home. I'm in unemployment. It's still not the end of the world, right? Then the water bill goes up at the same time as the trash and the sewer bill. And I'm like, dude, I have four kids. I'm going to have four teenagers at the same time, two of them girls. If that water bill keeps going up, I'm in trouble. But then I started thinking about other people, right? Like, what if I was a single mom and and that $28 a month was taking a a half a tank of gas out of my car, you know, or or food out of my kid's mouth? Or what if I was a, a senior citizen and the combination of all three of those things going up comes out to be, you know, another couple hundred bucks a quarter? You know, the the problem that we have, the disconnect that we have is politicians say, well, it's only a little bit and everyone's going to pay it. But they're not the ones who are reaching into their pockets and purses and pulling out that extra money. We are. So all of these things, I'm like, man, someone's got to stand up and someone has to say something. And so I called into the waterboard and I got quoted in the paper, you know, I, I but I had to like stop myself because I got, I got quoted, which was cool. But all that I really did was I dressed down people from my community. You know, two of my old teachers, a pastor from a church that I used to go to, one of my classmates. These are the people I was tearing down and all they do is deliver water. So I started seeing like, where does, who makes the actual decisions? You know, I live in an unincorporated town, so we don't have a city council. We have a, we have what's called a town council. That's just an advisory 
board and, and they don't have any real power. So I finally started looking into it and, and I realized how unhappy I was how, and how unhappy everyone else was and ran for, decided to run for supervisor. <laughs> hmm. No, no political background. I don't come from a, a rich family. Right? We don't, we're not politically expedient. We're not rich. You know, everyone in my family is kicking in. My, my wife has been a stay at home mom for almost six and a half years and she's door dashing and doing craft fairs now so I can run for office. So people that say, Oh, without any experience, how do you hope to, to win? Well, my guy that I'm running against is 20 years of experience and he sucks. <laughs> so at what point does this experience matter? Because all governing is, right, all government is supposed to be is is different ideas coming together, compromising on issues, and maintaining a baseline, which is the Constitution. If these idiots can't do that with all the experience and education they have, then maybe they need a couple of restaurant managers and, and, and construction workers and people that have had to actually create value and manage budgets take a turn. You know, and I ran a $100 million budget at the Reagan Library. So the idea that I, I can't run a large budget is laughable. So define suck. How does your how's the incumbent suck? Just so the way he first off, he's incredibly out of touch, right? He he doesn't make himself available for for the constituents. He's walked by um, our family business literally thirteen times and never walked inside our business to meet the, the minority business owner that sits inside it. You know, he um he'll he'll vote for things that are expedient for himself or his town, but then leave other smaller towns in the district out. He describes his successes um Quite offensively, you know, he, he, in his uh, re-election article, he says he wants to continue providing, you know, top-notch law enforcement services to the district, to the second district of Kern County. Six of the nine towns in my district either don't have police or have a shortage of officers. So what is he providing other than, than lies? You know, what is, how yeah. is he holding himself accountable? You know, I, I sit in those meetings and I go to them. I'm active in the in the county meetings. I go and I criticize him every chance I get. And and, and it's important to keep the pressure up. So those of you who think like, how do I keep the pressure up without running? Go to the meetings and put your name into the the uh, the minutes every time because they they they'll notice. Um, you know, but he voted for for a project to be built that's going to build many houses for the homeless. They asked the, the VP, they said, hey, how much are the houses? The cheapest unit you carry. Wouldn't refuse to answer. Refused. So I'm sitting in the audience and I pulled the website up. The reason it answers is because the cheapest unit is $335,000. <laughs> but how come he didn't ask that? Why did yeah. I have to ask that? <laughs> yeah. So uh, you, you jumped in. Um, uh, and this is one of the things I love to talk about uh, is you jumped in and you decided to run as a libertarian. Um, and I guess I want to kind of go into when did you switch? You were working for the Reagan library. Were you ever a Republican? Did you switch to libertarian? Um, and then we can cut, we can kind of go through your political progression from where you were to libertarian to how you got involved in the Mises caucus and what that is for, for the listeners who aren't familiar with what, the Mises caucus is uh, of the libertarian party. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my family was, you know, Kern, Kern County is considered one of the most Republican um, districts or counties in the entire country. So I grew up incredibly, incredibly Republican. You know, if you would have asked me 12 years ago, Kevin McCarthy would have been president one day. Now I just can't wait for him to retire because he's that bad of a congressman, you know, and then as I progressed, obviously in high school, 9-11 happens. It was my sophomore year, or junior year, 9-11 happens. And I bought 100% into that American propaganda, the neocon idea that we are justified in all of our actions overseas. And I actually tried to sign up to join. And that's when I found out I was deaf as an adult, was, was when I tried to go into the military after high school. Mm -hmm. And so still at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm fiscally conservative, right? That's where I'm, there's no questions asked. I'm fiscally conservative. But as I'm getting older, I realize like we're, we send people to jail for weed. Like I remember being a kid and, and finding some, you know, getting some smoke and being high in the clubhouse. But I couldn't imagine sending someone to jail over it. So as I got older, I started realizing that maybe the idea of pushing our morals on one another doesn't really make sense. But I was still pretty, I was still active in the like an actively Republican voter, right? Um, I moved to Vegas right a couple years after high school when I'm 20. And I'm still a, a very active Republican. I actually am a member at this point of the religious right. I actually have a, a degree in biblical studies. Um, I was a youth pastor in Las Vegas for several years. 
Um, I lived and worked in the projects, you know, for, for several years in Vegas, um, leading mission trips into some of the, the worst communities that you'll see. And mm-hmm. we used to do it all the time and, and, and no big deal. Right. And then what finally happened was the, the hate on eight campaign or the no on eight, whatever it was, it was the gay marriage bill. And it wasn't that I, that I, that I even took a stance. I was pretty neutral on it. But what bothered me was how hateful the Republican party and the religious right was towards, towards homosexuals. And it was, and it wasn't even that I agreed with them, you know, I mean, I still sometimes struggle, like, you know, rationalizing my faith around these other things that I don't necessarily agree with, but I knew that I didn't hate anybody. And so I started realizing like, you know what, man, I don't believe politics is about hate. Politics is supposed to be about something more than that. So 2016 comes, I vote for Trump. He's the big middle finger. There's no way I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. And then I, but then at this point, I still have my, my core values, right? Um, pro second amendment, um, you know, due process, um, lowering taxation and Trump goes against all of it. <laughs> he, mm. he institutes more second amendment infr- infringements in four years than Obama does in eight years. Yeah. So I'm like, well, wait, well, okay. They lost me there, but I'm certainly not a Democrat. Right. And then I start realizing all these other things, marijuana issues, watching people go to jail for smoking weed. I, I just, can't get over that you know third world countries do that the philippines yeah. does that right now the, the president has it has an unpopular drug war where they are targeting and murdering innocent just marijuana smokers in the streets it's it's crimes against humanity and and we're actively pushing it our government is pushing it here in our own country you know and then you start to realize then i i start getting a little bit um you know this so found, you then we go forward COVID happens i lose my job um I'm traveling across the country in the middle of 2020 and the meme wars and watching all the libertarian memes. And then I started running down rabbit trails with them. And you start realizing, holy, all the horrible things that our government has done under both Republicans and Democrats. And nobody at any point is being the adult in the room and saying, why are we doing these things? You know, Donald Trump told us that he was going to bring troops home and he did, right? He brought home troops from, from several countries immediately filled those positions with contractors that are being paid more than more than soldiers and, and they're and they're still engaged in violence and then they increase the number of drone strikes and they stop keeping count and they told us they reduced the war yeah like i didn't republic so at this point there's no way that i'm voting for the republicans again i decided to vote for that i'm going to vote for joe jorgensen a young man named matthew ryan butts reaches out to me on facebook he'd seen a post that i made on like a local group harasses me until I, I decide to come to a meeting and I'm at this point I'm full in like I, I 100% agree with the libertarians are doing but they're kind of boring right I mean they're they're let's be real they're either people that don't know how to explain themselves or you, nobody wants to listen to them because they 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 are crazy right yeah. they don't know how to voice their opinions but then I got to choose the Mises caucus and what the Mises caucus is is a, a we're, we're kind of birthed out of the Ron Paul revolution where we are just a hyperactive group of activists that believe that that change needs to happen at the local level first, total decentralization, removing the power of the of the federal government from our lives via nullification, whether it's via actual like legislative nullification or sheriff nullification. What, the, what that is, if you're not familiar with the idea of nullification, is that smaller levels of government through the Constitution should be allowed to dictate the laws that we follow locally. That's states' rights, right? The Tenth Amendment. The Tenth Amendment. Yep. So we, we should be using that to back the federal government off, you know? And so that's what the Mises caucus is um, really like long-term goal is, is how do we return freedom to local municipalities? So they're not just held to the whim of the, of the federal government. Yeah. There's, there's a lot that um, I agree with you. And I think that's, that's one reason I kind of peek my head into what, what the Mises caucus is doing. and, And I love what the Mises caucus is doing because, um, it's it's not only the values of what they're trying to um, to achieve because I believe if a lot of my listeners or anybody went and checked out the Mises Caucus itself here in California, they might be actually persuaded to say maybe I want to look into the Mises Caucus because we were talking about it before we hopped on about there. You know, when you say oh I'm a libertarian, you get that vision of the guy with the boot on his head and they're all kind of being weird and. You know, yeah. there's guys like taking their shirts off and being weird at the libertarian convention. Um, but my experience with the Mises caucus and, um, I've had Angela McArdle on the show, um, and, and other, uh, 
Lauren brought up Matt Bus. You brought up Matt. Uh, Matt's a great guy. He's he's a hustler. Uh, we've been in contact. These are people who are legitimately interested in like pushing, for a lack of a better term, pushing the BS uh, away, and saying, "Look, we're pushing all that. We want to get results, and we want to achieve those results by getting people elected to local offices." Yeah. And I think that's that kind of grassroots mentality is so refreshing to hear especially here in California where it lacks, we lack so many different options and Cynthia knows me well enough. And we spend enough time complaining about the California GOP and how much they need to be revised. And if the, if it even could be saved at this point, it may just be so far gone to special interest that we don't know if it's already, if it's already gone. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, there's a lot of things I, I can agree with you with in, in terms of foreign conflicts. And um, the one thing that uh, one of my favorite podcasters, Dave Smith, had said, because he's more, he talks about how he's become more socially conservative as a libertarian, which a lot of libertarians kind of don't like him for that reason. They're like, they're you know, you get the, the purists who are like, oh, you can't be socially conservative as a libertarian. And his response is, no, being a libertarian means I get to do what I want to do and live my life how I want to live it. It just means I'm not going to impose that on everybody else. And I think yeah. that's what you kind of went through was you want to live your life the way you want to live it. You you learn you got a degree in biblical studies. That's your life. That's how you want to live your life, but you don't want to force it all on mm. other people. Yeah, you know, and I mean, when it, when it comes to my faith, so that's something I don't really talk about my faith a whole lot anymore. Just, I don't, I don't know why. I just, you know, is it hasn't isn't the forefront that it used to be in the as far as how how active I was. But that's for me, right? That's what the Great Commission is is, is for me to go out and into the world and and try to and just be the example. You know, I think as as Christians, especially, and the GOP has this major problem is they take their morals and they expect the others to follow them. The problem with that is, is all that morals really is, are is opinions. Mm-hmm. So, so that's fine, right? I mean, you want to put your opinions on me and, and, and you might go along with those or maybe I might go along with those things because I'm in an agreement with you. But what happens when I'm no longer in agreement with you? Now yeah. your morals are literally like becoming restrictive in my life. They're, they're the opposite of what Jesus taught anyways. So it doesn't even make sense to do it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like when Jesus talks about when you, you go to your home and they disrespect you or they're not, you're not welcome. You just brush the dirt off and keep walking. You know, you're not for, you don't have to force everything down people's throats. One thing I like to tell people, especially in Kern County, we have a lot of cattle industry here. I say, so you like steaks, right? You're a red blooded American. Everyone likes steak. Mm -hmm. So what would you do if somebody was elected to the presidency whose morals um, dictated that that the slaughtering of cows is, would be, should be illegal. You I would lose your shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, if you clearly are not okay with other people, you know, forcing the morals onto you, why should you, how dare you put yours on other people? But I do believe that, that I can apply those in a way that, that is compassionate. Mm-hmm. I believe that I can connect with as many people as I can. Do I think I can make everyone happy? Absolutely not. Do I care yeah. to make everybody happy? No. Do I want to give people the same chances to succeed that other people have? Sure. Yeah. You know, I want the I want to remove the heel of the government from from our necks, so that we can spend our own money the way that we think we should, that we can make our own investments. You know, Social Security sucks. Why are we slipping into it? Like, I could definitely invest my own money better than anyone else can. Um, you know, it's all of these things where it's just like you know, Matt Kibbe says it best: "Don't hurt people and don't take that. Don't take their things." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I would have to like lead a January six style event if. If there was a president who's like, I'm taking away your ribeye, I'd be like, nope, nope, that's too far. I love my ribeye. I love a ribeye and a nice glass of whiskey. You're not taking that. So as a fan of steak, I I would agree with you that I'd, I'd probably go pretty crazy if if that happened. I got I spoke at the uh, Kern County Cattlemen's Association on Tuesday, and it included a free steak dinner. It was awesome. <laughs> I was like, man, I might have to join this club just to come get another steak. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So let's kind of pivot because we are now talking about Kern County a little bit. Um, and, and I think Kern County is definitely one of those counties that, uh, I mean, let's face it, is not the prototypical thing people think of when they think of California. Um, 
they would think of where Cynthia and I are, San Diego. It's beaches, it's surfers, it's, you know, tacos and all that stuff, or LA or San Francisco. It's the, basically those three areas. That's what people mm-hmm. think of California. At least people, I'm from the East Coast. So when I go back home, that that's all they think we do is just surf and have tacos all day long. Like we don't, do, we don't get anything done. Um, but I was looking at your website and there are some facts about Kern County that I didn't even know about Kern County that it's actually produces more oil than Oklahoma. We were talking about that. That's correct, right? Yeah. So, so Kern County has a handful of really cool facts that kind of from an economic standpoint, we put more oil in the state of Oklahoma. We are the top, the top three um, agricultural producing counties in the country year after year. It's typically one or two, sometimes drop to three, depending on how the season is. Um, we have two world-renowned Air Force base or military bases that are research installations that we that should be churning out businesses. You would think um, they're not. Mm-hmm. We have the future of air travel. You know, SpaceX and and is in space and um, scale composites are located in Mojave, California. So we have an actual spaceport. We also produce, I think it's 40% of the, of the state's renewable energy. Hmm. So, I mean, everything happens here. Yeah. And then like, and then for as far as water goes, then in the water industry, there's a saying that says all, all water runs through Kern. Yeah. And, and so the special relationship that Kern County has that other people really need to learn is that, um, is the relationship between water and power. So if you had a guess, what would you say the number one use of water is in Kern County? Water in, your in, in the state, in the state, the number one use of water in the state, in the state, yeah. uh, showers. No. So the number one use of water in the state is creating power. The oh, number wow. one use okay. of, now the number one use of power in the state is moving water over the Tatsby mountains from Kern County into LA County. Hmm. So, I mean, okay. it's a really unique relationship there that most people have no idea about. And it's why that it's such a fight here for power and energy. Because there's a realization that we have that we cannot move the water from Kern County over the mountains to L.A. County unless we have a, a very strong energy sector here. Hmm. So that, kind of is that the, go ahead, Cynthia. Sorry. So kind of taking a step back, since we're going to talk more about your platform, um, there might be people that. Me and Phil know what County Board of Supervisors does because in San Diego, we're like wilding it all over here. But there might be people listening that don't know what a county supervisor does. In your definition, how would you define it? So if you were talking to a voter and you're speaking with someone, they have no idea what you're running for. How would you describe that? What exactly are you running for? So in, in California, um, we every county is, is governed by a board of supervisors. It's a five-member board. It is both the legislative and the executive branch of the county. So they are both the Congress and the president, essentially, right? The executive and the legislative branch. Um, they create laws. In our county, we do not have revenue generating powers. So we can't like increase taxes other than a sales tax or like fees increases, but we can't like add a current county income tax, right? Um, and, and that, so that's what the, the position does. They, they're there for final approval on everything from zoning changes to the budget. Um, being approved, they, they are the final stamp of approval on everything. So it's when it's, when you're running for a county position, it's like the top county position that you can go for. It has a ton of influence. Um, Jeff Hewitt is in Riverside County. He's a board, he's a member of their board of supervisors. He, he's also a libertarian. He, um, you know, has a four, like a $7.2 billion budget that they're responsible for. Wow. You know, and here in Kern County, it's like a $3.4 billion budget. So, I mean, there's a lot of power that comes from the Board of Supervisors. We can, um, you know, I would like to see us, for instance, invest in mental health. We can do that. I have, I, that'll be something that'll be in my wheelhouse there. I'll be able to push money that says, instead of sending people to prison for drugs, we're going to send them to addiction treatment, you know, just, just trying to fix the disconnect because everything right now is, is just, it's so old school and cluttered and inefficient that nothing really moves from top to bottom. So uh, I'm trying to remember back, but I'll, I'll go with your point about um, people dealing with addiction because that's obviously a big issue all over California. Uh, what's your plan in Kern County? How bad is it in Kern County? And what does what can a county supervisor do to address homelessness and addiction issues and mental issues 
from their position. So what I believe that it, the biggest problem, so, so it's a huge issue in Kern County, right? I mean, we, we just like everywhere else, um, anywhere that's considered nice weather is going to have an increase in homeless people. We have wide open deserts. So everywhere you look now, there's motorhomes and tents in the desert. It's kind of crazy. So the problems that we have with those things is that it's housing, right? Number one thing, housing. It's so expensive, right? So as a board, a member of the board of supervisors, what I would do is I would um, encourage us to approve projects that have alternative materials, things that can be put up quicker um, mm-hmm. so that we can flood the housing market. Additionally, we I'm going to be petitioning the state. Uh, I'm going to build a coalition of counties that we can then petition the state to ask the governor to release his regulations as far as luxury housing. So what's, if anyone in the construction industry or that builds homes could tell you that the difference between now and 15 years ago is every home is a luxury home now. Mm. That's why we're not, we're not seeing starter homes. We're not seeing smaller apartments built. There's so many regulations and, and features that have to be added that there's just no money in those kinds of homes anymore. So we need to be able to relieve that. I, um, I was speaking with the, the earn, the, like the, the property manager organization or association of Kern County. And they have property managers that would be very happy to provide housing. They have vouchers available, but they have no apartments. So, I mean, there's that, you know, I think also housing first is important. So I think to your fact, specifically mental health and and drug addiction, the problem that most places in, in California have and really anywhere in the country is to get treatment for those things. It predicates being arrested, being charged and being convicted to getting treatment. Right. Mm. They're not going to give you treatment until they have to. Yeah. So what you've done is you've ruined sick people's lives, right? None of us would argue that people that are addicted aren't sick, right? That's a, that's science at this point, right? We, we agree that addiction is a sickness. So why would you throw sick people in prison? You know, I, I like to think that I, I, just, I always tell this story as a police officer, you have two choices when you take someone who's high on crack, you can take them to, to rehab, you can take them to prison. One of those makes him a protected class. He's going to be able to lead a life once he's clean. The other one makes him a fellow. And, mm. and, and that's what they call treatment. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder nobody's getting made, getting well in California. Our, our version of treatment is listing people as felons first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So have you heard about um, Gavin Newsom's plan? He just kind of launched this. I, I doubt he's going to put any effort into it, but it was a good soundbite for him. He talked about this new care court where it's basically they're going to set up a whole new wing of courts, which already sounds horrible because as an attorney, the courts are already backlogged enough. I can't imagine adding any more work to the courts to do. Um, And and the, the thing is, they would if you're, let's say, doing something that would get you arrested in public. You have a choice of you're either arrested or you can go to jail or you can get treatment. What are your thoughts on that particular program? Well, I mean, I'm all about diverting people away from jail. Um, I don't know enough about that to, to really know. Um, I know this. My mom's first husband, when he, he was arrested when he was 18 years old and he was given an opportunity to either go to prison or go into the military. And there were a lot of people did that back in the day. So, I mean, I'm all about diverting people away from prisons. The problem is, is Gavin Newsom, like you said, isn't going to do anything about it. And it's going to be ran so poorly that it's, it's not going to help. I mean, what they'll end up doing is they'll hold people for outrageous periods of time, end up just releasing them because they've held them for too long. <laughs> and they're yeah. still not going to get treatment. And they're going to be even worse off than they were before because they're going to have to have gone through in a holding cell. They're going to be sitting there going, going cold turkey. It's going to be, I imagine that would be terrible. Yeah. Uh, I, I finally remember what I want to go back to, which was specifically talking about water and getting the water over the mountains. Um, does this involve the issue with the nuclear power plant that they're trying to, or they are shutting down? Uh, is it El Diablo Canyon or whatever that they're trying to shut down nuclear power plant? Is that your county or am I thinking of a completely different county? So it's not Kern County. Um, I'm not sure okay. where that is, but I'm pretty sure it's not Kern. I'll okay. look it up. Just going off of water, I did see on your page that water is important. I mean, it's the source of life, obviously. And you have a lot of agriculture in your county. Um, You had some proposals for how you would preserve water when it happens. 
and I was looking at the stats that we uh, have hit the driest. Re- I think it's the driest record so far in California history when it comes to snowfall and precipitation for the prior mm-hmm. year. So obviously we're not doing well with holding on to the little bit of water that we have. What what's your plan for water in Kern County to hold on to it and do better? So so there's a couple of realizations there. The first one, like you said, is we're not holding our water. That's a state issue. So the drought, in my opinion, is, is completely man-made. The the drier conditions are obviously nature occurring, but um, as far as like the drought, it's our own fault, right? The problem is in the delta. It's the outflow of water from the rivers into the delta, and it's there to keep um. The, the salt from the salt water from coming through into the delta and destroying all the land. They have a minimum amount required and they end up giving out like a hundred times over that every day. So, I mean, anything and anyone who was sufficient could tell you that, that anything over the minimum is excessive. So, so the state needs to fix that. That's the biggest problem. Um, but locally, the way that we do it is we keep water from going into the state water project, right? Cause that's where, water becomes the biggest issue is once it's in the state project, it's too expensive to buy back. So one of the ways we do that is we buy diverting water directly into the ground by um, infrastructure improvements. Um, there's companies out there that are making, there's a called Aquapore. They make a material that is porous. It's like a concrete alternative. You could line the curbs with it and the water would go straight through as opposed to into the storm drains. Um, the other way uh, is monetizing the oil industry. You know, I found companies, a company in Colorado called called Nine Water, IX Water. And what they make is they make, they're able to filter fracking water and make it drinkable again. I mean, to go from fracking water to potable and then reusing it. They could keep it closed ended so that you were using the same water all the time as opposed to just, you know, because what happens there is the biggest complaints of fracking is the store is how you get rid of the water. So the two current ways of, of frack of getting rid of fracking water are deep water deposits. Mm-hmm. And, um, and evaporation ponds. Deep water deposits are known for infect, for infiltrating other groundwaters. And the ponds are known for giving things like nosebleeds. And, and in some of the poor Hispanic communities in northern Kern County, they have higher rates of cancer and stuff like that. So eliminating those needs or that problem while monetizing the waste for the oil industry keeps them healthy. It also keeps water local. Um, you know, working with agriculture and, and if we need to spend some money. So it's funny because I, where I will differ from, from other libertarians is I understand the need of sometimes spending some money. I just will never increase taxes to do it. Right. Um, I will. So, you know, helping, um, the agricultural industry with water, we, they, we can buy tree TPs, slap them on the bottom of non-fruit bearing trees and save 90% of the water used to water it all year. It's real practical solutions that re- that give real returns on their investment, so it's not just endless projects that that, that waste money. So those are the ways. I, and I've, never, I've never heard of that term before. A, a tree TP. So so it was. I actually know the guy. His name's Johnny Georges. He's on. He has a movie. He was on Shark Tank, and huh. um, he him and his dad made this little plastic thing, and they snapped it around the bottom of orange trees. And what he found is that we use like 90% less water and 75% less um, fertilizer, and they actually produce fruit earlier. Is it and, because you place the water in there and I, it evaporates, or I, why is? So for a couple of reasons. One, it keeps the humidity inside, which is good for the trees, so it keeps the, the ground a little moist more, longer. But then you're not wasting everything. So if there's no sun hitting the base of the tree, there's no weeds taking your water and nutrients away from the tree. So there's that. And then also the overspray. You're only spraying the base of the tree as opposed to a wider area. Wow. See, I learned something new every time. Um, I didn't know that's a new term that I've learned is tree TPs. I'm going to definitely advocate for more tree TPs in California. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's really it. funny. So I actually try to tell my dad to buy some for his hippie plants. <laughs> for his hippie plants? <laughs> It's okay. It's legal here in California. Yeah, dude, he, he's so funny. He's like it's- my dad's like a seventy-year-old like hippie redneck. It's super funny, and people are always there like, yeah. "How come you don't look like him?" I'm like, "Well, he's adopted." <laughs> and their answer is, <laughs> he's like, I don't get they it. look back at you and go, I, "What?" They don't get it. Well, of course, my dad so, came uh, second, so, so we adopted him. 
Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. That, yeah, the way you said that makes people's heads kind of turn a little bit. Um, oh, it's I'm looking at some other issues. The water, housing affordability. You, you, I want to touch on this again. You you were talking about luxury houses. Go into that some more. I, I didn't really understand that there's everything's a luxury house in California. It, what does that mean? And why are we calling everything a luxury house? So houses are required to have more features now than at any point before. And every one of those features comes with a cost, right? I mean, if you have to put fire sprinklers in a house now that you didn't have to put in 20 years ago, there's an extra, there's an extra cost. Now you're required to put the solar panels on the house. But as a contractor, as the home builder, that means you, you only benefit when you sell, right? You don't get to keep the power the rest of the time. So it just adds the cost. All of, and so one thing, like when you, like, just look around your neighborhood the next time there's a, there's housing tracks built. They're all, they're all nicer than the ones that are already there. So we're not building starter homes anymore. So, you know, it used to be people buy a three bedroom, two bath house for relatively cheap. And then they upgrade a couple years later, something a little nicer. Now they're forcing you to buy the nicer house first. But what's resulting is that we have more young people and more people of my age, I'm 37, who live with their parents than at any point before. And it, it, part of it is because the regulations on the housing market have caused how the cost of construction to be way too high. Hmm. And you were saying like alternative materials, what kind of alternative materials? Man, we, we could be doing container homes. We could be doing mini houses. We could be doing, um, you know, mixed use residences that have properties on the bottom and, and, and housing on top. We could do modular homes. It doesn't have to be, high, you know, the, the traditional things, there's other ways to make houses that are cheaper now than they used to be. So we need to be um, exploring and, and helping people figure out how to make money off those things. Because in the end, the only way that things get fixed is when people decide have learned how to get rich off of them. So mm. allow people to, to build different kinds of houses out of materials that are cheaper for them, you know, so that we can put people into these homes, you know, flood the market with cheaper housing. And, and that's something you can accomplish on the county level, because if it's a state regulation, how does the county deal with that? So what we'll do is we'll ask the governor to push back on those things. County specific, what I'm going to do is I would be pushing to reduce fees at the county level. Um, that's going to be the easiest way is how do we divert money from our subsidies to to housing, be, housing being built, right? It's going to be about waiving fees. Otherwise, there's no other way to do it. Yeah. And Lauren just posted something. Share that. <laughs> oh. pop it up there yes and it's like so and lauren right here so zoning right we can definitely um adjust zoning so people can add you know extra buildings to their property if they want let people monetize their property so that that there's more rentals available you know we converted my garage my nephew lives in it <laughs> okay uh let's see there's another question I'm not familiar with those, unfortunately. I'd have to get back to you, Miss Camille. You might have to elaborate, Camille, on what SB9 and SB10 do. Um, okay. So, is, uh, you know, I'm really fascinated with this because of the fact that housing is, I mean, everything in California is so completely overregulated. And I guess that the, your job as a county supervisor is to try and, one, work with the state on how much regulation you can actually deal with um and how much your county can sort of do on its own is that correct mm -hmm. yeah so i i think that's the job of the board of supervisors is wading through those laws and deciding which ones are absolutely terrible for their constituents you know but yes it is about finding out where do we become advocates and where to become activists right to the state and then where we become actionable at the county level and so zoning rules, things like that. I think that's where we're the most actionable there. Mm. Okay. So Camille followed up with her sort of a, a, a question slash uh, maybe healthy skepticism. And it, you know, if you want to address that. That's a good one. <laughs> For those who are listening on audio, the question is, uh, but more housing equals more population equals mm. more students in uh, failing schools. I'm not being negative. I'm genuinely curious about this. So I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we can definitely overcrowd and that is definitely a concern. But as far as that goes, I think we that's where it's important that school choice goes through. Not every kid in the community should be going to that school, right? There should be other options on how we're schooling people. 
So as far as failing schools go, I think the only way to really fix that is just to move away from the idea of government schooling that hurts children. So as far as that goes, I would really push school choice. Um, mm-hmm. As far as the county level, it's, it's, I think that like in Kern County, I don't think more housing would necessarily lead to that kind of population boom. I think it would lead to people moving out of their parents' houses. So I don't know that the that the population goes sky high as much as we would see people that are doubling up in homes. I think they would start to move into their own thing. Um, I I actually thank you for that question though because I am going to go and and look into that and and see where that ha- if that's happened and if that is a legitimate concern so that I can continue to to alter how I feel about that. I was just gonna kind of throw it to Cynthia because she's a huge school choice advocate. So when you were talking about you need more school choice and less government school, I could see her nodding in agreement, right, Cynthia? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I was curious, too, because like, I am a believer that, you know, the issues on like what people can or can't do, and depending on, you know, what's going on in your county could be different. So I'm not sure if so as current as a potential county supervisor in Kern County, do you have the leverage or ability to promote school choice? Or is that more of like just a personal purview, like as a candidate or just as a father? Um, is that something you're able to do? Or is that because I know the one thing I bond with my libertarian brothers and sisters were for school choice. And we want to yeah. make sure that critical race theory is not an issue at all. Um, is that something you're able to accomplish as a supervisor? So no, unfortunately, the, the tempered realization is that that is a state issue. Um, schooling is a state issue. So I, I know that, I mean, there's got to be like zoning rules and things like that, that, you know, approvals of projects that, that I could probably affect. Um, as far as like changing laws to like allow school choice, there is no county specific school choice bills in California that I found to be successful. Um, it's not, it's, it's outside of their purview. The same as like raising taxes or even water. You know, like the state water system is outside of this, the purview of the county as well. I appreciate you clarifying that because, like, as I mentioned, you know, we don't know what kind of viewers are watching. So we might have people like listening in or watching that don't know all the complexities of government. So they might and even like when you speak with voters, they might like, oh, can the supervisor do this? And it's good that you're honest and direct. Like, no, actually, this isn't in my control. This is what my platform is about. So I appreciate that. You know, so I've gotten really good at interviewing with like the unions and like leftist organizations as well. Like I, as a libertarian, I take, I, I definitely embrace the fact that I can speak to both sides about different issues. I've become a very big fan of, of that's outside the purview of the office I'm seeking. <laughs> you know, but I think people appreciate the honesty. Yeah. I think people are always looking for honesty, especially in today's politics. Uh, yeah. One issue that I was just thinking about um, that, I don't think it's talked about enough and it's the issue of how California has absolutely screwed up the cannabis industry. What could have been the golden goose or the green goose leading, laying the green eggs. uh, Just, they absolutely screwed the pooch on it. And a lot of counties are either too restrictive, they're too expensive. And it's just so prohibitive to even get into the illegal cannabis industry or start a business um a lot of people just said screw it i'm just gonna go start like an illegal grow and take the fine or whatever uh how is kern county in regards to the cannabis business and if elected what kind of thoughts do you have on maybe loosening restrictions to allow more cannabis business to prosper in kern county so i am a a big advocate of the cultivation of marijuana um, I think cannabis is, like you said, is, is the golden green goose or whatever. I mean, that's where the money is, right? That's the, we can a hundred million dollars, hundred billion dollars a year, you know, <laughs> I mean, that easily that we can make here. So Kern County is really, really bad on cannabis though. We have in, in, for instance, in my town of Roseman, I think we have seven shops that are all considered illegal. They get raided periodically and they all get arrested and get everything thrown out, you know, and they reopen the next week. We had a very robust cannabis industry that our board of supervisors ruined um, between 2018 and 2020 that ended up, um, we had like dozens and dozens of shops across the county, legal, beautiful shops that were clean, that you, anyone could go to, seniors, senior citizens were going into because they were just in good locations. And then the, the board of supervisors decided to go in a different direction 
there was actually um, an indictment. Uh, a sitting supervisor was criminally charged. Another one was investigated over their cannabis, um, mm. you know, manipulation, I guess you could say. And, but we need more of it, you know? So what happens in Kern County is it's that whole morals thing, right? It's, it's older people that don't want us to, to, to grow cannabis or smoke weed or whatever the point is. So what happens is we have illegal shops and then they complain about everything else, right? We have illegal shops and then they complain about how they're dirty. They smell bad. They're everything about them is negative, mm-hmm. but it's because they don't have any incentive to do anything right because you're shutting them down every six weeks. Yeah. You know, I used to go to a shop in, in, in Woodland Hills. It literally shares a wall with the bank. You don't even know it's there unless you look in the window. Yeah. You know, so that's what we should be doing is having those kind of shops. You know, Mike Tyson has his Tyson ranch in California city. We should have that everywhere. You know, we should be letting people grow, grow cannabis and we should be using it for hemp. We should be allowing people to smoke it. We should be doing whatever we can. I don't, I think that no county in California, no board of supervisors in this state should be able to look at any industry and, and thumb their nose at it <laughs> when yeah. we have people that are struggling. You know, our unemployment rate in Kern County is three points higher than the state's average. It's, and we're turning people away from work. It's crazy. I, I never really understand. I, I mean, actually, I can't understand it. I can understand that California took something that could be so profitable and, and such a boon for the California economy and absolutely just F it up. Um, I'm not shocked that they F'd it up as bad as they did. Yeah. It, New Mexico over this last weekend was their first um, time ever having mar- like cannabis sales. And they made like $100 million in sales in three days. Unbelievable. You know, and, and here in California, we have 58 counties and you can only buy marijuana at like 20 of them. Yeah. I remember the first, one of the first ones I went to was in LA somewhere, uh, Mad Men, which is one of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. And if you walked into it, you would think you accidentally walked into an Apple store. Like that's yeah. how clean and professional it is. And you have guys who, they have their little iPads and they, they look like you walked into an Apple store and you walked into a genius bar because they're like, oh, hi, what what are you in the mood for today? What do you like? And it's like, it's so clean. It's so safe. There's security out front mm-hmm. um, checking people as they go in. And I think there's still that stigma for some people of like, oh, we don't want cannabis shops because they think of like smoke shops like here in, in the neighborhood I live in San Diego. I mean, you, you go every block, there's a smoke shop and there's probably two or three smoke shops, but they're different than cannabis dispensaries, which are they, the nice ones look really nice. Um, smoke shops look like typical smoke shops. Um, but I think that's what people think. I I think it would be a good boon for most counties to get behind it and unleash the potential of that business. It's legalized. I mean, most people accept it at this point. I think people should just get behind it as a source of, of revenue for the counties and for the state. Yeah. It's again, the idea that we should be just shunning any economic driver shows not just illiteracy, but it's, it's cruelty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's throwing people. And then, you know, it's funny during the vice presidential debate in 2020, Kamala Harris said, if elected, we're going to make marijuana legal and I spit out my drink. Like, are you, you, what? Like, Kamala Harris? Like, are you joking? Like, Joe Biden's been a racist for 50 years. He's not letting brown people out and black people out of jail. And Kamala Harris proudly threw people in jail for marijuana as the state's attorney general for years. Held people on death row. (laughs) People died. And she's she's joking (laughs) about how she smoked weed in college listening to Snoop Dogg and Tupac, which had not come out yet. But, um, (laughs) uh, so... Yeah, it, it's an interesting topic. I just wanted to get your your opinion on that one um, specifically because I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, mm. And I, I think it's a, a source of revenue and I think counties handle it differently. Um, well, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you have a, a family and I don't want to keep you chatting for too long. We've hit about an hour. Um, and... I want to thank everybody who was on and asking questions and I put your address at the bottom. Yes. People want to go and check out more about Kelly and you can also donate. 
Um, yes. As a new politician who's getting out there, he's a true grassroots politician. Anything you can donate to go help uh, goes a long way. I know that. Um, anything you can do to help out Kelly win this seat and kind of change Kern County a little little bit better uh, would be appreciated. So anything else in closing, Kelly, that you want to let the listeners and audience know or Cynthia, do you have anything else? I didn't want to kind of leave you hanging if you had anything else for Kelly before I let him go. My loss, I think the loss issue, just to cover really quickly, um, we covered everything on your website except term limits. So just would love to hear your take on that. Does Kern County currently have term limits or what's how is, how is it there and what's your perspective on that? Yeah, so um, Kern County currently does not have term limits for county level elected officials. It will be on the ballot this year. Um, it was just they just got approved, had their petition approved a couple weeks ago. So we will be voting on term limits in Kern County. Um, so typically, I'm not for term limits because without good campaign finance reform, then term limits are kind of silly, right? All you're doing is changing the driver, but it's the same seat. You know, same team owns the seat, right? Kern County, we actually have pretty good campaign finance as far as county elections go. Like, for instance, I'm only allowed to take $500 from, any indiv- from every individual. You know, I, so I can't have a, a benefactor come in and give me $50,000. They give me $500. You know, so because of that, that's I had... A, so that's the cap five. So if someone wants to donate, um, 500 is the max contrib- individual contribution you get for the primary. And then is that also for the general or how does that work? So yeah, yeah, five hundred for each. So um, at after the the um, the primary, you could donate another five hundred dollars. So if you want to donate a thousand, let's say if you wanted to write a check for a thousand because you and your spouse are listed, make sure you both sign <laughs> before you mail it over, right? Um, so I had already pledged to to only run twice if if elected. Um, so I believe that it's important to have new people go in, you know, have new have new opinions. And hopefully I can grow the Libertarian Party and get more Libertarians elected across the state. <clears throat> Perfect. Excellent. Uh, so, yeah, like like I said again, um, you can check out the website. If you're listening, it's www.carden for Kern. So that's Carden, C-A-R-D-E-N, the number four, Kern, as in Kern County, dot com. You can go over there, check out his issues. Um, and donate and support. And also, if you are interested in the Libertarian Party and the Mises Caucus, you can just Google Mises Caucus and it'll pop up. It's the first yeah. thing. You can actually go to takehumanaction.com and you can get updates you for your local Mises, Mises Caucus. And, and once you sign up on takehumanaction.com, a local organizer will reach out to you and get you connected to the local party. It will probably be Matt Butts who will be reaching out to you. Correct. Okay, hey, where are you guys at in San Diego? Or can we go to Angelo Burger? Uh, I'm in Pacific Beach area. So is there so an Angelo's know. Burger there? <laughs> Angio, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I've never heard of Angelo's Burger. I've never you heard never of that Angelo's? Oh my gosh. So in Carlsbad, in, in, you can go to Carlsbad or you can go to Oceanside. You can go get yourself some so Maybe Angelo's it's a North Burger. County thing because, uh, yeah, never heard of it yeah. here. It's fantastic. You get the big old burger. They give you the, it comes on a pizza tray with a whole thing of fries. It's like oh, man. a fat man's paradise, let me tell you. <laughs> That's to me, I always joke with people who are in North County. I always call it it's like above the wall. Any Game of Thrones uh-huh. fans. That's beyond the wall. I don't know what goes on in North County. Past La Jolla to me in North County, San Diego, is like a whole different world. I'm like San Marcos, I have no idea. Where where is that? Is that is that like up by Temecula? I don't know. That is that even the same county? I don't even know where that is, man. <laughs> yeah, I it's fair. It's fine. I don't even know where that is. I know Oceanside's about an hour from where I, I live right oh, now. So. so when I was a kid, my aunt and uncle lived in Rancho's Penasquitos. So I spent a lot of time in Poway and Penasquitos. A lot of Filipinos there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. So. But yeah, thank you for coming on, Kelly. Uh, best of luck in the race. If you want to come back on closer to Election Day. Let yeah. us know. You can chat more. Uh, this was a great discussion. Um, plenty to talk about. You're a great guy to chat with. So, uh, again, everybody go check him out. Support him. Card in for Kern. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. All right. Hey, thanks, guys. It was, it was a blast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah.
See you later. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 